0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Good morning. I am so happy to be with you all this morning. I have had nothing but an amazing experience since I walked in the front doors of this church. I have been welcomed so generously, and I um, couldn't be more thankful that I get to spend all morning and part of this afternoon being with you all. I couldn't be more thankful this morning that I have been surrounded by kids how beautiful was that the kids who were singing a little bit earlier amen and i had the most lovely voices behind me worshiping over here today which is one of my favorite parts that we had to witness a child being baptized you all are making me feel so at home because i am a therapist as was just shared and i am a part of an amazing practice in nashville tennessee called daystar counseling ministries And we serve just the pediatric population. That's our whole focus, kids, adolescents, and families. And so I spend all of my days surrounded by kids, which is why this makes me feel so very at home. And I want to give you a little snapshot of the place that I work, because we're a little bit different. As you can see in this photo, we work in a house rather than an office building. And that was a very intentional decision for us, because if any of you have taken kids you love to counseling or if you've gone yourselves, you know it can be an overwhelming experience. So we try to do as much as we can to make kids feel really safe and comfortable when they come through our doors for the first time. You may also notice from this photo that a few of my colleagues get their own picture. Yeah, and then the rest of us are all crammed together in one photo. And that too is very telling. We currently have five therapy dogs on staff, and they are hands down the kids' favorite therapists. We're all very aware we're super low on the pecking order, and we're 100% okay with that. And having them there is a huge part of what we're working to do to help families feel really safe and comfortable. The fella in the bottom corner, the yellow lab, belongs to me. Uh, His name is Owen and he started to therapy dog school uh, just after his first birthday, and he turned 11 recently, so he's been at this work for a decade, and when I finish the process, if any of you have ever been through the process, you know it's a really extensive process. Like You have to be screened to see if the dog has a good temperament on the front side, and then you go through months and months of classes and then you have to take a test that you either pass or don't pass at the end. So you can invest a lot of time and in this process and maybe not make it and we got to the end of the process and that fellow knocked it out of the park and they said to us, we're going to send you the certificate in the mail to let you know he's officially graduated so you can start the work and his certificate showed up in the mail and I opened it and looked and said to my wife, he has more letters behind his name than I do. <laughs> It's like seven letters. I'm like, how humbling to own a dog who's more credentialed than I am. It's really, it's so humbling. But thankful for this place. Thankful that, as I mentioned, I get to go to work every single day and be in the company of kids. And I'm so happy to look out and see so many kids in this room. In fact, will you raise your hand if you are 10 years old or younger? If you're 10 or under, raise your hands, okay? Wow, lots of you. And I'm so grateful for that. To all of you who just raised your hands, I want to say to you, all of the rest of us in this room have a lot to learn from you. We have a lot to learn from you, and that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning. And I'm going to share some things I've learned from being in the company of kids. In addition to the kids that I work with, I have three of my own. My oldest is a girl. And about a year into her life, we got pregnant for the second time, and we were incredibly grateful. We went midway through the pregnancy, as you do, for an ultrasound. And we walked in the door and said to the technician, okay, we're really old school. We didn't know my daughter was a girl till the day she was born, so don't tell us what we're having. We want to be surprised. Make a note in the chart, but don't let us know. And she agreed. And I can still remember where I was standing in that room, as she was scanning my wife's belly and looked up with this huge smile and said, I see two heads. Yeah, and my first thought was, why in the world are you smiling if the baby has two heads? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing about that sounded right to me. And you all, we were genuinely that shocked. Like, we have no history of multiples in our family. My wife had not gained extra weight Her counts weren't different. None of the indicators that are typically there when you're carrying multiples were there for us. So here we are midway through the pregnancy, finding out we're having multiples and that multiples always come early. So I said to the technician, well, obviously we're so behind at this point, we do need to know. So hang on, I'm going to lay down on the bed next to my wife and then you tell us what we're having. (laughs) And she said, two boys. Yes, we are still recovering from that news 20 years later. So I've A daughter and twin sons and my twin sons are actually both sophomores at Sanford University so I have such an affection for your city I'm so thankful thank you for the way you've welcomed our family into this city you are such a welcoming city and I'm so thankful I could be with you today and that we could spend some time reflecting on what I imagine is a familiar passage but I think I want us to lean in today to some things that I think God could reveal afresh to us. So I want to take a look at this passage in Matthew. I want to reread this with you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I want to lean into three parts of that scripture where I think kids are teaching us something important. And the first place I want to lean in is the acknowledgement that when Jesus called this child, the child came. The child came. And what I want to say to you all is that part of why I ask kids in the room 10 and under to raise their hands is that somewhere around 11 to 12, every one of us, whether we remember it or not, grown-ups in the room, we develop what's called self-consciousness. We become aware of ourselves in a new way. We begin thinking more about ourselves than we did prior to that stretch of development. And that thinking about ourselves can cause us to be less responsive. In fact, I want you to imagine yourself for a moment in that scene. I think there's a great chance that if we got really honest, many of us would say, if he had pointed to me and called me, I would have been thinking more about, like, how do I look? And what if I'm awkward when I stand up front? What if I don't know what to say? We would have been thinking more about those things because that self-consciousness has crept in by that point. And that self-consciousness, that kind of awareness can rob us of responsiveness. The other thing that can rob us is fear, fear that I might say the wrong thing. You may have experienced that fear even walking into this room today. You may have encountered someone in this church that you know and love who has maybe experienced a loss recently. And rather than just responding to that, you may be stopped and are like, "Oh, I don't know. Should I say something, but what if I say the wrong thing? What if they're not thinking about it?" And then I bring it up, and it makes them more sad all of that fear creeping in that can stand in the way of that natural responsiveness. One of my all-time favorite things about kids 10 and under is how often they just say what they're thinking. They ask what they're wondering. Not long ago, I had a little seven-year-old boy in my office and I was asking him some questions and I paused and he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, sure you can. And he said, when you go into a 3D movie, do your glasses automatically turn 3D? (laughs) It had never occurred to me until that moment, my glasses really do look like the kind they hand out at the theater, don't they? He was just fascinated to think about the fact that I just walked in the room and it flipped into 3D automatically. I love that that natural responsiveness would bring him to ask the question he needed answered. And we tend to lose that. We tend to lose that fear can get in the way. And you all, when I think about all the different kids I have known over the years who have taught me or reminded me a lot about fear... I think about a young man in particular. I met this kid when he was a junior in high school. He was a great kid, a great student, and an amazing athlete. And this was the kind of kid who, he was not just a really incredible athlete. He was the kind of kid who was probably going to go on to play college sports at the school of his choice. Until second game of his football season, junior year, he would experience an injury that not only took him out of, that game, but it would take him out of the game of football altogether. He would end up with a surgeon standing over him saying, son, I am so sorry to tell you that your football career is over. And that's what brought him to me. That amazing kid, amazing student, amazing athlete, all of a sudden got the rug pulled out from underneath him. And imagine what that would be like for any one of us to have, you know, dreamed about our future and then find out none of that is going to happen. So... This amazing kid started to to experience some sadness that gave way to what was looking like some depression, that's what brought him to me. And I spent over a year with him, and this brave, resilient kid fought through that. He fought through another surgery, a lot of rehab and physical therapy, and he graduated and went on to college, not to play, not even to the college he wanted to go to, but he was grateful just to get to go. And his freshman year, I got a call From his mom, and she said, David, he's going to be home over Thanksgiving and wanted to just check in. Could he come in? And I said, I would love to see him. So we set up an appointment. He came in, and we were talking through in that time, you all, the things that probably every one of us remembers facing when you move away from home for the very first time. You know what it's like when you start adulting on your own? And he was talking about what it was like to face all those things and launching out into the world. And somewhere in the conversation, I don't remember exactly where, we started talking about the moment, and I'm looking at some of your faces, and some of you have lived this moment. Some of you as parents have not lived this moment yet, but you may remember it in your own life. It's this awkward moment when everyone in the room is aware that the grown-ups need to leave, but no one wants to say it. And he said, my dad finally got up the courage. He looked at my mom, and he said... His schedule is ready, his dorm room is set up, we need to hit the road. He said, you all say goodbye, I'm going to pull the car around back, and then we need to head home. So he and his mom walked down, his dad pulled up, and he said, David, when my dad got out of the car, he was crying harder than I had ever seen him cry in my entire life. So much so that he could barely even speak. He just kept looking at this boy and saying, I love you. I love you so much. That's all he could get out. And I said, how was your mom in that time? And he laughed and said, I remember she kept giving a lot of reminders. She kept saying things like, now that milk I put in your mini fridge is going to spoil, so check the expiration date. You have got to be on top of your meal card plan. You're the only one who can add more money onto your account. All those great reminders, moms, that you give us. She hugged her son. They got in the car. And right as they were about to pull out, she rolled down the window, she looked at this boy she loves, and she said, don't drink, it is so dangerous. (laughs) Those were her parting words to her college son. Y'all, mentioned that I had spent over a year with this kid, I spent a lot of time with his parents, and I am here to tell you, they are amazing people. They're intentional people. And if the truth be told, I see myself in both of them. I think when I'm at my best as a parent, I look a lot more like that dad did. I'm parenting out of love. And in a lot of moments, I look more like that mom did. I'm parenting out of fear. And I don't think our kids can ever get the best of who we are when we're parenting out of fear. In fact, I don't think anyone we're in relationship with can get the best of who we are when we're in a posture of fear. I think we are way more reactive and way less responsive. So I think fear can stand in the way. I want you to hold on to that as we think more on responsiveness. I also think this passage reminds us to be open. I love the part that says, truly I tell you, unless you change... And become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven and I want to focus in on three points as we think in particular about that unless you change part you know one of my favorite things about kids is they are just natural students they come into every single new school year knowing they've got something new to learn and they know some things are going to be a little bit harder, and some things are going to be a little bit easier, but I'm going to learn a lot of new stuff. They're just natural students. And what happens for us grown-ups in the room is we forget to continue to be students. We forget to remember. We don't remember that there is still so much to learn. You all think about all the phrases in our world that speak to that reality. You can't teach an old dog what? Yeah. He's so set in his... Yes, all these different phrases that speak to that reality that we just get really stuck and we forget to keep learning. I have this dear friend. He is in his mid-60s, and every time I encounter him, every time, not some of the time, I know exactly what he's going to say when I ask him the question, how are you? He will say, David, I'm learning. I'm growing. Can I tell you what... God is teaching me right now in this moment in my life. Can I tell you what he revealed to me through Scripture this week? You all, it's just incredible. It's so inspiring to me to think. That's the posture we want to maintain. We don't ever want to stop being students. We cannot learn enough about the Word of God. It's endless. It's living. And I want to challenge you to be open. I think kids remind us of that. They remind us not to stop changing and growing. And I want you to think a little bit about where you would say, even as we reflect on this idea, that you need to grow. Where's an area of your own life that you need to grow? What's a tool? What's a resource? What's a relationship? What's a context that could help you do more of that? Let me tell you what I've been using for years and years, decades now, In our practice, we use a tool called the Enneagram. How many of you have discovered the Enneagram? Raise your hand if you know it. Okay, a lot of you. If you don't and you're thinking to yourself, what did he just say and how do you spell that? I'll spell it for you if you wanna write this down. It's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, Enneagram. It is a typology, how many of you maybe in high school or college or your first job, took the Myers-Briggs, the MBTI, raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you did. So a lot of workplaces use that, it's a great tool. If you're thinking, I think I did, I'm not sure, you get four letters with the MBTI. We're all either an extrovert or an introvert, we're a feeler or a thinker, it's a great tool. I was trained in that tool in undergrad and graduate school. I love that tool, but I would say I like the Enneagram better because rather than getting four letters you get one number. We are all a number between one and nine. And every number, not some numbers, every number has strengths and struggles. And I love to help folks find their way to this tool so you can start to identify what are more the strengths, the unique ways God has hardwired you, and what are some struggles because I think every one of us knows what it's like to be in relationship with someone who's growing and learning and operating more out of the unique strengths God's given them, and all of us know what it's like to be in relationship with someone who has a lot of blind spots and needs to do some building and growing. If you wanted to explore this tool, a great book I'd recommend to you is called The Road Back to You. The Road Back to You was written by Ian Morgan Cron, C-R-O-N, and Suzanne Stabile, S-T-A-B-I-L-E. They go through every number, and then at the end of each number, you take a short quiz and figure out which number you score the highest in. And I love this tool for three reasons, you all, in particular. I think this tool is an amazing resource that can transform marriages and also an incredible tool for parenting. And I think it is one of the greatest tools out there in terms of the inventories and typologies for spiritual formation, for growing in your relationship with Christ. I think it's the most compatible tool for that. And I'm not going to ask any of you that raised your hands who who know this tool what your number is, but I'll tell you my number. I'm a one on the Enneagram. And the name given to the one is the perfectionist or the reformer. We see everything that's wrong in the world, and we want to make it right. The one is a bit akin to the type A personality. Like, we are very hardworking. We're efficient. We're the kind of people you'd love to have on your committee because we like to check things off a list. We get a lot done. We're very efficient. Think about that name, the Reformer. Now, I see a couple of you smiling because you're thinking, oh, what would it be like? In the context of marriage to be a person who sees everything that's wrong and wants to make it right. (laughs) Yes, you should be smiling and wondering. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, I can start to believe I am the fourth member of the Trinity, (laughs) or at the very least, God's Southeast representative. I have all these good ideas, I just need people to listen. That is not true. Y'all, when I'm at my best as a one in parenting, I think I bring a lot of vision and leadership to my family. When I'm at my worst, I could make my wife and children feel like they're up for a performance evaluation. So I've loved using this tool to help me grow, and I have a lot of memories of my oneness over the journey of parenting. I have one in particular from early on. I think my kids were like four and six at the time. It was a Saturday morning morning. I'd just gotten out of the shower, and the house smelled like pancakes and syrup. My wife was making pancakes. My kids had just rolled out of bed. They still had their PJs on, and they had all that great bedhead, and they were eating. And I walked into the kitchen after I got dressed and said, okay, listen up. We've got a busy day. I'm going to take the two of you to soccer. Mom's going to take you to the birthday party. We're going to meet back at the house. Your grandparents are going to be here. I was running down this long list of things, and my kids were over there just trying to enjoy their pancake breakfast. <laughs> And I remember my wife putting the spatula down at the stove, and she walked over and got real close to me, and she put her hand around the back of my neck, and she said, Sweetheart, you are the only person in this house who is interested in your agenda right now. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) One of the most loving things anyone has said to me, because... Left alone in my oneness, I could just plow right over people. That's not who I want to be in this world. That is not at all who I want to be as a husband and a father. So I want to challenge you. Who are the relationships? Who are the folks that you will let get really close to you, put their hand on your shoulder, near your neck, and speak some truth to you that you need to hear? Who are the folks that you could ask questions for the sake of growth? You could say, hey, what are my strengths and what are my struggles? How would you describe me to someone who doesn't know me? Where do I need to grow? Who are the relationships? What are the resources? I want to just encourage you to think more about what it would mean to be a student to grow more in your relationship with Christ, to grow more in your marriages, to grow more in your parenting, that we could grow more as people. Be open. And the last thing I think kids teach us through the scripture is to be humble. To be humble. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you all, I want to talk for a few minutes about three points. I want to first talk about what I think humility is and what it's not, because I think we at times can have it a little bit backwards. I think we tend to think about humility like it's being self-deprecating, thinking less of myself. And I don't think it's that at all. I think it is understanding my value as it relates to other people's value. In fact, I love those two passages. I want you to jot those down or take a photo of those with your phone. Proverbs 10 and James 1, I love the reminders of the wise measure their words. And James reminds us to be quick to listen, slow to speak. I think this world is full of folks who are not quick to listen, who aren't slow to speak. In fact, you all right now this minute as we sit here, we all know somewhere in this world someone is typing in all caps in the comment section of Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Someone is loudly declaring their perspective, believing they're going to change the world with their ideas. It saddens me as someone who loves kids and works with kids how little humility and civility I think that kids get to see on the grown-ups around them. How much opportunity I think is there for us as people of God to be living differently in a loud world In fact, when I think on that idea, I think about, I love the words of Madeline Lingle, the famous children's author, who once said, we don't draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely, they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. I love those words. We have that opportunity, we have that privilege, not to be screaming at the world, but to be a light that is so lovely that this world wants to know the very source of it. But I don't think we can be that unless we are operating from a posture of humility, unless we're open, and then we are responsive, not reactive. I think that humility, you all, is a place of strength. I love the reminder in Philippians 2, we just sang this reminder a few minutes ago. That verse says, he humbled himself. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. We just sang about that death and what that death means for you and for me. Our Savior postured himself in the strength of humility to be obedient to the cross, to be a light so lovely. And I think lastly, you all, humility postures us to see our need. And when I think about the kids who've taught me a lot about that, I think about another young man, and we'll call this little guy Jack. Jack is a longtime friend of my twin sons we 've known him since first grade. He has played on basketball teams with my boys, soccer teams, a lot of different sports and Jack spent a lot of time in our house and I love when Jack comes over because it's like living in the middle of a sitcom like he is just hilarious and such a truth teller. You never have to wonder what he's thinking it's always going to come out and Because Jack spent a lot of time in our home and our friends' homes, we all as parents kind of swapped Jack's stories. And our friends, the Connors, had him over for dinner in elementary school, and they were around the table about to share a meal and say the blessing. And Mr. Connor said, hey, Jack, because you're our guest, would you want to say the blessing tonight? And he said, I'd love to, Mr. Connor." So they all bowed their heads, held hands, and there was silence. And then there was more silence. And then Mr. Connor thought to himself, you know what, I should have probably just said for him to start whenever he's ready. So he looked up and said, Jack, buddy, whenever you're ready, you go right ahead. Bowed his head again. And there was silence. And more silence. And then Mr. Connor thought, you know what, I should probably let him off the hook. He might feel a little overwhelmed in another home saying the blessing, so I'm just going to let Jack off the hook. And as he looked up to do that, Jack looked up at the exact same time and said, I got nothing. <laughs> 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 I got nothing. Grown ups in the room, I think we lose the ability to say, I got nothing. We've been studying this passage from Matthew 18 a little bit earlier in Matthew. We are told by Jesus to come to him when we are what? Weary and burdened. When we've got nothing. You may have walked in this room today feeling like, I've got nothing. And yet someone may have asked you, how are you? And you said, I'm great. We lose that ability to be that open to say, I've got nothing. We get invited to this posture every Sunday at my home church. In fact, if I were home right now at the end of my service, our pastor would invite us to stand and open our hands and receive the benediction, and he reminds us that the benediction is a blessing, a blessing that every one of us needs. And so he asks us to receive the benediction with our palms open. And he asked us to do that for a second reason, too, because there's something about that posture, that posture of humility, that also reminds me consistently that this is what I bring to the relationship with Jesus nothing. And he brings everything I need. And I've been so deeply affected by standing in that posture and that reminder that. Not only am I doing that on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, when I pray in my quiet time, I'm praying in the same way to remind myself, this is what I bring to the equation, nothing. And he has everything I need. Every day, the scriptures tell his mercies are new every day. Every day when I wake up, if I feel like I've got nothing, he has everything. I was with a parent... A while back, and she said to me, David, I want so desperately to just be Jesus in front of my children. And I said to her, with all respect, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can be Jesus to your children. I think you can be a parent who needs Jesus in front of your children. That I think you can do. And I think the kids around us need us to be grown-ups who remember that we need him. We need those new mercies every day. And I think there is something about the reminders that we've been given through this passage that help us live in that posture more. That is something I hope you will think about and consider and hold on to even as you leave here today. And more than anything, I want to just invite you to keep studying the amazing little people around you who I think are some of the greatest teachers. It is no mystery to me why he called a child. And all of what grown-ups in the room, he had for us within that. So pray with me. Father, thank you for the gift of being in this room with these people. Thank you for this beautiful church, how they have welcomed me so generously today. Thank you that this room is full of kids who remind us over and over again to be responsive, to be open, to keep learning, to keep growing, and to be humble. Thank you for their honesty and transparency, their willingness to just say, I don't have anything. God, may we live that way more and more and be people who receive everything you have for us, that we could live and draw people to this light that is so lovely. Thank you for a chance to reflect on that today. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.